This is the Prosperous Family Podcast, where we explore creative ways of prospering mentally, emotionally, socially, physically, financially, and spiritually. So pull out your notepads, put on your thinking caps, and be open to new ways of approaching your day-to-day life, new ways of creating prosperity, happiness, joy, peace in your life and in the lives of your family members. Welcome to Prosperous Family Podcast. So hello and welcome to the Prosperous Family Podcast. I'm Marian Hobson, and we're so glad that you joined us today. I'm super excited to speak with my guest today, Mark Hirschberg with Canosco Media. Mark, welcome to our podcast. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure to be here today. Great. So, Mark, let's start dive in and get to know you by telling us about your family. I am very fortunate to have come from a wonderful family. I've got two great parents. They are both highly educated and really valued education. My dad's a doctor. My mother is a retired teacher, has her master's in early childhood education. So they both really emphasize learning. And I've got a terrific brother and now his husband, two children. So I've got a great family. Awesome. Great. That- it, it sounds like you have really uh, developed that relationship well. Yeah, I didn't really appreciate it growing up. And mm-hmm. as I got older and really see how many families struggle, how much there's trouble or bad relationships in a family, I really got lucky that my parents, my brother, we are all healthy, not just physically, but mentally in terms of our relationships with each other as a great environment to grow up in. That is wonderful. Congratulations. It's good to hear those stories and we know they're not the same story for everyone. So tell me, um, you said that your parents valued education. Your mom obviously was a teacher. Your dad um, went a ways in, in education himself. How did that affect your growing up and your career choices? From an early age, they wanted my brother and I to learn. Reading was very big in my house, and Mm -hmm. that was them reading to me when we were really young, to encouraging reading on our own. Trips to the library were very regular, and they Mm -hmm. would encourage that. They would encourage doing things that helped me learn from sometimes our family weekend activities would be going to a museum, for example. We had memberships in a couple I believe New York City museums, uh, maybe with one in Philly for a time. I remember even when I got in trouble and I'd be punished, if there was something educational, it would be suspended so I could do the educational activity. Or if something, kids, of course, we all want toys. We want more, we want, we want, we want, and they had to find a balance. But things that were more educational, the rules were a lot more flexible because they understood the importance of what this would do. And that really helped me achieve not just academically, but to appreciate the value of learning, which is so important to the success I have today because I go into different fields. And the first thing I do is say, I need to understand this, what's going on. And I know how to learn and then how to apply what I've learned to be successful. Oh, that, that sounds great. I, um, I was recently looking at something that it was talking about how uh, in traditional education, you don't, you aren't taught how to learn. You know, this was the theory of that author or speaker or whatever. And it sounds like your parents really encouraged that from the get go. They did. And I would say that's not true of how traditional education is supposed to work. But in practice, unfortunately, we see a lot of memorization and not synthesis and other higher order thinking. Yeah, well, I I am of the opinion and um, have to applaud my parents as well as it sounds like yours, because I agree with this strategy that it's not just what you learn in school, but how you 
incorporate it and and are use it in at the in the family level at home. Absolutely. And when you think about what we get in school, I remember modules on geology, for example. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's generally useful, and I should know something about why there's a mountain over there and a river over there. Right. And obviously, basic science understanding is really important for general citizenship and working in the world. Mm-hmm. Perhaps even more important, given that I work in a tech field, but it's helpful to everyone. But then, even more importantly, understanding how, for example, geological processes shape our land. That idea, that thinking, is helpful to realize how do political processes shape our society? How do economic processes shape companies and industries? And when you get to that higher order learning, it wasn't about I can tell you which rock is what because honestly, I forgot probably seventy, eighty percent of it, and most people that's closer to a hundred. But if I got that meta lesson. That's what's important. And let me actually share a really important example. What I get over and over, people ask me, oh, calculus. Now, I'm a STEM guy. I have degrees in math, computer science, in engineering. And they say, oh, yeah, you know, I took calculus. I hated it. I don't know why we need to learn calculus. We teach you calculus not because you're going to have to calculate a differential. Unless you're an engineer, you won't. Mm -hmm. But Learning calculus helps you understand how to do symbolic manipulation. Hmm. Okay, Learning... define symbolic manipulation, just to make sure I'm on the same page with you. It's moving around, not numbers, because when you did X plus four equals six, you're like, okay, I know X is something. That's algebra. And that, by the way, we're teaching you problem solving. We're teaching mm-hmm. you how to go step by step to uncover. But when you get to calculus, we're teaching you how to move around a differential, for example. How do you add these incrementally small things together to find the area under a curve? And so it's more conceptual than just there's this thing called X. Is it two? Is it three? Is it 7.6? It's a little more abstract, and that helps you build abstract thinking. That That's that is good to remember. I avoided calculus. I, you know. just had a different direction when it came to school at that time in my life. But um, you're right. We need to have that uh, being able to see things from a different perspective. And, and I can appreciate those people who have done it from a calculus standpoint, when you are talking about um, the, you're, I know, I am honestly can't remember what brought this story up, but the, and this is what I say, we're going to time out. <laughs> I'm like, I completely forgot what story I was going to tell you. But so, okay, so calculus. Go, I'm just going to go back to my comment on calculus. So I, I avoided calculus in school. I was going a different direction in my life and um, not prepared for that conceptual thing. Math at that time was really a challenge. But I do appreciate that um, exploring things that we might not use every day really help us. In fact, it, what it reminds me of when, is when I took physical science in college. And at the time I was in, at a college that was close to mountains and we talked about how there's two forces on, in, that propel you forward. To, to walk forward, you have to be able to push against the force of the earth. And I have used that concept. And the reason I mentioned the mountains is because you could see where the mountains had been forced to grow, right? You could see the, the levels that, and things like that. And I have used that concept in so many areas of my life that we have to have two forces to actually create momentum and movement. And we can see, for example, other cases of this. Now, you mentioned you went a different direction. You probably weren't a math science person in school. So let me pick an example from the other side of the spectrum. Let's Mm -hmm. take the Renaissance. If you study the Renaissance, you say, okay, well, I've memorized all these dates and people, and I can tell you, is that a Rembrandt or a Monet? 
But the idea when you take that class isn't that you can say, I know what this picture is. The larger lesson is the concept. I think I'm getting this right because history is not my primary area. But the larger lesson is the idea that as we had the rise of the middle class, we created patronage systems and could fund the arts, could fund societal changes that paid off dividends that weren't immediately valuable. No one was buying the Mona Lisa that day. So Leonardo da Vinci couldn't have done that work if he didn't have some type of patronage. We could right. see echoes of that, for example, in World War II, when we had scientific breakthroughs in World War II and early after in NASA in the space race, where the patronage now came not from wealthy families, but from a government who invested in it. And just as the Renaissance, not only did we get great art and literature, but it generated a societal change towards how we focused on learning and how we focused on higher order things and not just did we grow the wheat, can we feed the family? Right. And so too did we see a boom in the second half of 20th century because of all the patronage investments our government made in R&D. Mm -hmm. and, and you are, like you guessed me, exactly right. I was a history major. <laughs> and and it, it's it, what you are describing is exactly what I bring into like everyday life is that when we understand concepts that may not be like our everyday life, but we can help the, help ourselves to process them or to process what's going on in our life. You know, like you're describing that, that we, okay. So you're, anyway, my point is that we have to learn from what's going on, right? And we have to learn from others and, the more we can learn from others, and that's one of the reasons why I have visitors on all my podcasts, is the more we get to know other people and what they're experiencing, the, the broader our perspective on our individual challenges. Exactly. It's not about, did you remember when the Mona Lisa was painted, but can you take these higher order ideas and synthesize them into solutions? So as you encounter challenges in life, whether it's dealing with children who are misbehaving or trying to fix a problem at work, you can apply these larger concepts, these larger problem solving ideas and be successful. Perfect, awesome. Um, so I was gonna ask you one more thing about this. You mentioned that you didn't appreciate your family situation growing up. Were there times when you didn't appreciate what your, your parents were doing to encourage education? Oh, certainly, without a doubt, from things I'm sure I was forced to do. I had to go to Hebrew school, for example. Mm -hmm. No kid wants to do that. And languages are not my strength. We also start a little late, so I was playing catch up. And I hated going to Hebrew school. I'm very glad now that I did. I understand my culture and heritage better. Mm -hmm. But I certainly did not enjoy it at the time. And I'm sure there were other things where... They made me do things I didn't want to do that I'm sure paid off. I can't even think of all of them now, but <laughs> I know they made very wise decisions. You know, I I feel the same way about piano practice. I It was difficult for me. And, you know, since then I've learned things about exercising my fingers and things like that, that probably would have made me more limber. But, but I also just have a really hard time getting the left hand and the right hand to go together. But because I did it, like you said, I, I learned to love just sitting down in front of the piano, you know, and, and hacking out a tune and figuring out, oh, yeah, I can still play the me melody, you know. <laughs> I can do something I didn't think I could do, and I can actually enjoy it. Yeah. Good parents yeah. probably force their children to do things a certain percentage of the time. I don't know if it's 5% or 20%. It's going to vary depending on the child and parents. Force them to do things the kids don't like, but the parents know with their experience, this is worth in the long run. Right. And, and of course, with experience, we can see that you're going to have to do things you don't want to do the rest of your life. So let's try to do it in a safe environment. So thank you. Let's turn a little bit to uh, you, what you do and, and who you are. Uh, talk to us about, and let me make sure I say it that right, 
Konosko Media. You were you were mentioning before we got started the name itself. What does it mean, and how does that play into what you're doing? Hagnosko is Latin, meaning I learn or I know. How ironic that you would choose something like that when you're not a language person. But go ahead. <laughs> I, I was looking for a URL that was available and that fit and that went to the theme of what I was doing. Okay. Now, I do a couple different things. I have a tech startup company. I generally build tech startups. That's my primary job. Okay. I also, I've been teaching at MIT on the side. That's more for fun for 20 some years. Mm -hmm. I turned the lessons that we use at MIT. I use as inspiration for my book, the career toolkit, essential skills for success that no one taught you. And mm. we put out that book. I created the publishing company Cognosco Media as the umbrella for that book and then other tools that would also support learning. So in addition okay. to the book, we create a tool called Brain Bump. And the Brain Bump. Brain Bump. The idea here, it's if you search on Android, it's Brain Bump with a space. Apple currently screwed it up, and so it's Brain Bump without a space. Okay. I'm trying to get them to fix that. What I recognized is that when people read books, so my book, it has a lot of advice on networking, career planning, negotiating, leadership, all the stuff that's important, but no one mm -hmm. taught us. Yeah. The problem when you read a book like that is you say, okay, wow, there's great advice here. And then you forget it all as soon as you finish the book. That's not helpful. So common. Absolutely. Well, maybe common. not all of it. I usually have to take a nugget or two. Right. You'll walk away with two or three things. Right. But there's usually a lot more. Mm -hmm. Now, let's take the networking tips. There's a whole chapter on networking. There's dozens of tips on how to be effective networking but you're gonna forget them and then you're going to walk into a networking event and you think, damn it, I wish I had that. You want those tips five minutes before you walk into the room, but you're not gonna carry the book with you. Mm. So how can we get you access to that? Then you'll have situations, we cover leadership. Now that's not a just-in-time thing. You don't say, hey, hold on, pause the conversation. I gotta look up a leadership tip. Okay, okay, now I'm ready to lead. Right. You need to more memorize and retain that. And we know spaced repetition works, repeated exposure. So how do we get folks to do that? We took these ideas, we put it into the app. So the Brain Bump app takes content from books, blogs, podcasts, and talks, takes the highlights from those when the author wants to be on it. I will not take someone's content without their permission, but the authors, the podcasters opt in, they put the highlights on there. And then when you download their content, which is completely free, you get the tips, you get the highlights, you get something that you would highlight in a book, the type mm -hmm. of thing you might share on social media. That's the key point. And then you can either do that just in time recall, right before you walk into that networking event, pull up those mm -hmm. networking tips, or you can get a daily push. You don't even have to open the app you just get a little push notification to your phone at a time you set. We don't bother you with ones you didn't ask for. And let's say 9 a.m. every day as you walk into the office, you get a tip on how to be more effective at work. You look, swipe it so away, and you're done. Are these tips that the authors themselves have um, developed and created? Yes. These tips come from their book, their okay. podcast, their blog. These okay. are the highlights to give you... I think of it as this is a free sample you get at the restaurant and yeah. then you can go order the meal, which means listen to the podcast, read the blog post or buy right. the book. Okay. And, and so is there a way on the app to like, I've taken all the notes and I've gotten a few things of myself that I can create those reminders myself and customize them? Right now, we just released, at the time you and I are recording this, the yeah. app is only about a month old. Okay. So it's just coming from the creators right now. We have a very long roadmap with a lot of features. Okay. And that one's certainly on the list. Yeah, because it sounds a lot like the app that I use for affirmations. And yes, I like to scroll. For personally, when I'm standing in line or something like that, I like to do the affirmations that they have. And then sometimes, you know, I'll fi favorite it or whatever. But I really like the notifications from the ones that I create myself, you know, that are personalized. So 
and I'll have to check it out. I'll, I'll have to see because obviously there, there are things that the author wants to emphasize, but may or may not be what I emphasize, especially because I like to think of myself as a genius. I refer, you know, my, my username handle or whatever it is called on social media is I am genius mom. Um, because I think differently than other people. And so I might take a concept that the author describes this way and see it that way, you know? So, it is certainly a feature we hear requested a lot. And so it's high on our roadmap. But, you know, <laughs> you're right that the app, it's a combination. It's a cross between a daily affirmation, a mm -hmm. flashcard app, and a book summary app. If you, the three of those had a baby, that would be brain bump. You know, isn't that interesting? Because I remember in in high school, everybody would get the Cliff Notes version because they didn't want to read the book. But the fact of the matter is that the Cliff Notes version is what you're going to refer to more often if you're trying to use it in everyday life. So I, I appreciate what you have created. When you're trying to go back to remember something in my book, my book is 270 pages. And yes, there's an index, but we don't get to that level of granularity. With the app, you just say, I have the parable of the blind man and the elephant. You mm -hmm. just put elephant in the search and boom, there's the tip because there's not a lot of other tips on elephants. Go, yeah. That's what I was looking for. And it's right there for you. Okay. So you get access to it if you've purchased the book kind of thing? Yes. And you also get access to it if you haven't purchased the book. It is completely free. Okay, so it so it's also a way for them to sample different authors' information. Right. So some people will use it as I bought the book, or I listened to the podcast, I read the blogs, and I want to better retain it. Other mm -hmm. people will use it as I'm thinking of buying this book, or I'm thinking of listening to this podcast. But let me see. Get that free sample, get that taste. Is it worthwhile? Is it something I want? Hey, Marion Hobson here. Wanted to invite you to become a part of our part, fun and games. If you haven't, I want to make sure that you are a member of my Peaceful Rich Moms Facebook group. That is a way that you can see, learn about the activities we have going on it, in October and November, you'll also see games where you can win prizes um, of various values. So make sure that you join the Peaceful Rich Moms group and like my Genius Moms page, which I'll talk again about another time. So... Someone was telling me, uh, you know, the encyclopedia is void, but the Cliff Notes version, the brain bump, is is absolutely a great way to uh, access information quickly, it sounds like. That's what it was designed for, putting the key things you need literally in your pocket. That's awesome. That's awesome. Great. And so... So tell me a little bit more about um, how you came up with this idea. I was talking to my neighbor and I was in the process of doing my book. She said, you should build an app. I said, okay, great. An app. Good. What should the app do? So oh, I, I don't know, but you should build an app for your book. <laughs> okay, great. Thanks. Next, you should tell me I should sell a million copies. I'll put that on the to-do list. Right. So I sat down and I thought about what would an app do? Now, most book apps are just taking the book, wrapping it as a PDF, sticking it in an app, and those all died. Once the Kindle came out, that could take all the books and put them in one place. Yeah. But I'm lucky that I have a background in technology. I've worked in media, so I understand media. I understand how it's evolving. I have a lot of thoughts about how media as a whole really is going to be changing in the next century. And then I also, thanks both to what I've learned from my mother, who taught me some of how to think about learning, as mm -hmm. well as 20 plus years of teaching at MIT, I know how people learn. And mm -hmm. so I started mulling these ideas over my head and thinking about what are the needs. We know that the reader or the listener wants to retain information, and we know spaced repetition works. 
So I need a way to do that. And while there are flashcard apps out there, no one's going to open a flashcard app every day for a book they read. Hmm. You'll do it if you're learning a language. You'll do it if you're studying for the MCATs. I take notes on the books I read, but I never go back and look at them. And I've never met anyone. I, so I did meet someone last week was the first exception who actually looks at his notes. So hmm. we needed a way for people to access it in a very passive way in a way they didn't have to reopen the app. And that's what we have a patent around. And yet I know I should. I, one of my mentors, um, you know, he described that when he was doing his personal development program, he, you know, they read a book every month or every other month, something like that. And then the, for the six to nine years afterwards, he challenged himself to go back and read those books again. And to, you know, go over the notes and stuff, stuff like that. And so because of his, you know, counsel, guidance, whatever, um, I have gone back to several of the books that I used in his program. But more I have like a, a brain version of what you're describing. I know that I got this out of that book. And I know and a couple of the books that had specific like the three points or the seven points, I can name those points. So I really appreciate that um, I can go back and bring up those memory files just by reading your highlights or having them, you know, notified me. That's awesome. One of our principles is laziness. We <laughs> want everyone to do as little work as possible to get the benefit. So by gotcha. giving you the notes, you don't even have to take them you get them and then can use it to memorize it. But I appreciate that you recognize the value in that little extra effort to retain it. That's right, and, and use it and apply it. But, you know, it, let, let's reframe that. It could be considered laziness. It could also just be an element of the fact that we live in a high-paced, fast-paced, moving society, world, whatever, and we need to be able to grow and change and evolve quickly. And, and having something like this that can help us remember what we have already learned is, is perfect. If you prefer efficiency, we make it efficient. I actually like lazy because who doesn't like to be lazy sometimes? Who doesn't like to have it done for them? Okay, you're right. <laughs> it's, it's some of both. Yes. Marketers I, might disagree on my choice of words. Right, 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 right. I There... There was, when I was growing up, um, I grew up in a very religious family, but it was a religion that was not very common in my, the area that I grew up uh, in the South, uh, which was known as Bible Belt, right? And there was a very big discussion on a regular basis in our youth group, or you know, not youth group, but the people that I went to school with about whether dancing was a good thing or not, right? And there, and there were apparently several religions that did not agree with it. And, um, and my, my religion definitely, we believed in dancing and we had dances at church on a regular basis, you know, so I didn't understand their perspective. And yet, and, and so I was always arguing for it. And, and because I come from such a hardworking family, like, my parents always found projects for us if they didn't have, you know, if we didn't need to do something, they always had something for us, right? I also argue for entertainment. So I get the value of laziness. <laughs> I do. I, I also, it, it's, a, it's a balancing act, right? You, you have to find ways to improve or, or whichever way works for you so that you actually use the tool, right? <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Awesome. Great. Well, um, so I'm, I'm looking at this and I am curious a little bit more about what you plan to do to use it or, you know, because a lot of our listeners are parents. Is it something that you plan to market or can suggest how we use them, use it for kids? And yeah, now right now, the app at the time we're recording this, which is July of 2020, the app has been out about a month. 
-hmm. it's still early on, still kind of beta. We're still, oh, there's a bug. So very early. It should be a little more stable by the fall. We're also starting just with business content. Now use the term business broadly. That might be entrepreneurship, marketing, careers, leadership. We're Mm -hmm. focusing just on that concept. Over time, you can imagine we can support other types of content, including parenting, relationships, health and wellness. But whenever you're launching a new product, you generally want to start narrow and focused. And this way, all the content creators know what people are looking for. All the people know what the content is. Correct. And and most of the people that are following us and are going to be interested in personal development, a lot of them are in either in entrepreneurship or looking at it as something. So so definitely something we can use at hand. Is it something that you plan to develop for education in other ways as down the road? So certainly right now, your audience might say, this is the stuff I want. I'm going to download the app, pick the content you want, the blogs, the podcasts, and start getting those tips from there. Mm -hmm. And like Netflix, we keep adding more content over time. So whatever you see when you start a month later, you'll be seeing more and then more after that. For your children, when I wrote the book, The Career Toolkit, now that book we target people 20 to 50. It's a broad mm-hmm. range. If yeah. you need to figure out a career plan, if you want to get better at networking, better at negotiating, this book is for you. But I know for the younger audiences, a 35-year-old will say, great, I want this. A 17-year-old mm-hmm. isn't going to say, I want to sit down and read a book. They'll prefer that app form. They'll prefer okay. the nuggets. They like apps. And so this allows them to get it in a manner that's most useful to them. So if you want your children to get better at, let's say, networking, have them download my content. They can even just set to the networking tips, maybe skip the leadership, skip the ethics, skip that part. Because you can set to just a particular topic. We have everything tagged. And then Mm -hmm. your kid every day gets a networking tip. And as they get Mm -hmm. the repeated exposure, after a few months, they start to remember what are the things to do to make me a more effective networker? So you can use this for your kids. They're probably less interested in how do you market something if they're 16 years old, but the interviewing, the networking, a few of those things they might be interested in. Oh, but it's surprising. And and many of the kids that I want to be reaching, we'll, we'll see how many of our listeners are actually going there are those who might just be interested in doing those things so much younger because the tools are there and available. And, and so it, it's great that you have that available and, and can train and teach them. Yeah, hopefully I think this will be a new manner in which people will start to learn. It doesn't replace books. I personally still like paper books over eBooks, but it's a supplement. <laughs> And so whether you read your book or get it through as an ebook or listen to it or however you get your content, this will be a useful tool alongside of it to help you bear retain it, whether you're doing it on your own or in a formal learning program. Cool. I, I should be careful with what I just jump in and say, because I love to sit down and read a book. I, I believe that my taking the notes and my, highlighting and things like that. There, there's a certain process of it that is really, you know, dear to my soul. And I say that from someone who was not a reader as a child. The only thing my mother could ever get me to read was biographies because <laughs> um, I just love stories. But then the flip side of that, though, is I love a good audiobook because I like to be selective in what I'm listening to. It's just like why I like podcasts, because I can listen to it when I'm, um, you know, at the gym or running or riding my bike or just walking the dog or whatever, so that I'm, you know, training myself. And I definitely have moments where I just have silence because I also value that as well. But when I know I'm going to otherwise be exposed to 
possible marketing or messages. I, I like to have um, the audiobooks and And so that is, like I said about my um, affirmations app, definitely an app that I could be using your app that way to fill in the breeze time, the, the no time, you know, when I want to choose what I'm exposed to. Right. And we'll see as the app grows, do people use it more for, I have some free time, let me flip through, to use it mm -hmm. more in the daily affirmation, more for the five minutes before I need it just in time? Do they use it more for right. something they've already gotten? They've listened to the podcast, they've read the book and want to retain it versus discovery. All this is TBD. And of course, we'll continue to add new functionality as we see what users want, as they tell us what they want, and we continue to mm -hmm. build it out for them. Wow. That, that should be interesting to follow. I will have to download it and, and make a look, take a look myself. So, um, so Mark, let's go back to um, you. You at I wanted to ask you specifically at the beginning of the interview. You said something like, "I teach at MIT, but that's really just for fun." Tell me why you say that. Well, it's not what I spend most of my time doing. It's certainly not where okay. I get most of my revenue, and so that's just an experience where I like to give back. It's a community mm -hmm. I care about being an MIT alum. And okay. there is a great feeling, you know, when I do a podcast like this, when I write my book, I believe I'm helping people and I can reach a lot of people, but I don't know if I am. Occasionally mm -hmm. I'll get a note from someone who listens to the podcast or read the book and they say, thank you, or they leave a review. And that's always appreciated. And by the way, this is not just for me, for any authors, any podcasters, anyone whose content you consume. Certainly they all love getting the ratings and reviews because that helps them with the algorithms. But even just hearing, even if you don't want to leave a review, if you send a note saying, I enjoyed your book or I found this useful, we always appreciate it. Or if you say, I didn't like this, that helps us too. We just have right. no Good connection. Feedback. I don't know who's yeah. listening to this. I don't know if you like it, if you don't like it, no connection. When I'm actually in the room with students, that's the great feeling. I can see the mm. light bulbs go on. I know the impact I'm having on their lives. And I love that. And I've done it. Mm. I teach at MIT. I used to be part of a nonprofit where we help people in the foster care system. I've taught at all different levels, different content. And I really enjoy being in front of people. But I also would not want to be a full-time teacher because I actually like building businesses as well. <laughs> Isn't it great that we can do some of all of the above? I, um, I definitely am a believer in the one-on-one -on -one relationship. COVID was so difficult for me and tr trying to, you know, distance myself, but still be connected with people was, was difficult. I, I like the one-on-one. -on -one. I like the interaction and the person, person to person. I, I enjoy the podcast and that's why we're here, but uh, I agree with you totally. It's a different experience to interact and, and, you know, get the immediate feedback. At least with the podcast, you and I can interact. There's at least one other person in the room with right. each of us. When I do talks, because I go into companies and conferences and I do talks, it mm -hmm. used to be in person. That's great. And you can feel the energy in the room. I could feel, am I connecting to people? Are they getting totally lost? I can't adjust. And now, of course, at best, you see the Brady Bunch screen, most of which are turned off. Or yeah. usually when you're doing PowerPoint slides as a presenter, the slides are in front of me. I see nothing but that little green camera light. And I'll do a 45-minute, hour-long talk and have no connection to the audience and just think maybe I just spoke to no one for the past hour. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. I'm, I'm grateful that we're getting more and more in-person things back. back. Yeah. I, I'm sure that we will still... You know, it's kind of like, um, and this is totally an aside of anything else we were talking about, but it seems applicable. When HIV was such a big thing in the 1980s, I guess, yep. and we were all so scared about it, and it changed our lives and how we interacted with each other for a while, and then it's kind of died off. It's still there, 
And it's, for some people, it's very much a part of their lives. But for the day-to-day um, person, most the, the average person, it's not a day-to-day part of their lives. And I'm hoping at some point COVID will be the same thing. But- Me too, though. If you think about why that happened, mm-hmm. a few things caused that change. Most importantly, there is a societal shift. Mm-hmm. I grew up as a kid in the 80s, and I heard about HIV, and this was before I was sexually active. But I remember that the thing I remember most is when you sleep with someone, you're having sex with everyone they have slept with. You've got that chain. You've got that wrist chain. Yeah. And so growing up, the idea of not the 1960s free love, hey, let's go into the alley and have a fun couple minutes. It's the, hold on, let me make sure, have you been tested? And using protection, using ways to minimize it. Yeah. And that behavioral change has stemmed the, the flow, has stemmed how much the virus has progressed. So that put it in check in the U.S. We still saw in other nations, particularly in Africa, it continued to grow and spread. And now we've also been fortunate that scientific breakthroughs took it from a death sentence to a manageable Right. Disease. It's still not great to have. It probably shortens your life because of your immune system impact, but it's changed. And so hopefully two things will happen. One, we're just going to change. We're going to be more careful. And when I say we, that's individuals. Maybe I don't think people are still washing their hands for 20 seconds, but hopefully it's more than half a second. Right. All the deep cleaning that the companies were doing, okay, not every week, but maybe a little more often or maybe better filtration systems. And by the way, I tie this back to history. I believe it was Legionnaire's disease or maybe the flu when they started to look at air exchange mm-hmm. in buildings. And thankfully, because of what we learned there, we have better air exchange and mandates for our schools, for our offices, for the New York City subway I ride. And that's why they're not death traps today because yes. they do that. And of course, with science, we will get better, better types of um, uh, vaccinations and better treatments when we get. And all this should hopefully change it, change the equation as it has with HIV and other diseases. Yes. And so it is that our, our world evolves just as we as individuals have, have to involve, evolve. Um, and, and that's good. It, Growth and change is, is the only constant, right? And we're, we're happy to have that. I also, as part of what you were talking about, I talk a lot about the pendulum swing because we think one way is the only way to do it. And then we've gone so far that way that we realize, oh, wait, we need to come back this way a little bit more, you know? And, and that is life, isn't it? It is. It's funny you mentioned that. We see that, for example, right now with cryptocurrencies. Now, I am not a fan of cryptocurrencies. My graduate work was in cryptography, so I know the math behind it. Okay. I also spent a year at Harvard Business School developing a class with some HBS professors to teach finance. When I looked at cryptocurrencies back around 2011, I said, this doesn't make sense to me. What we see the younger generation saying is, well, banks don't pay a lot of money, and I want this high-risk, well, I don't think it's risky. I want this high return asset cryptocurrencies. And, oh, I don't trust banks. We're in this mentality, this state of we've gone very strong into institutions, into big banks, into big organizations, and people aren't trusting them. There are some valid reasons for that. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not saying they're, they're completely wrong. But then they go into this area, and all of a sudden we've seen at the time we're recording not only is cryptocurrency down, we've seen a number of the organizations declare bankruptcy. They've said, oh, and by the way, we're freezing access to your assets. Now, we had this experience once before back in the 1930s, back during the Great Depression, when the banks would say, oh, you you can't take your money out, the bank holidays, and we had a problem. What did we do? We said, you know what? We can't have this freewheeling, unregulated system. We put in banking regulations. And right now, if my bank declares bankruptcy tomorrow, I can still get my funds because Mm -hmm. their funds and mine are separate. And there are banking regulations and we have FDIC insurance. But cryptocurrency doesn't have any of that. 
and people are getting lost. And we swung to the, I want the opposite of regulations. Regulations are bad. They slow things down. Okay, now we're seeing why some regulations are actually good. And we'll see a generation swing to more conservative. And then we'll see some people start to disrupt again. And we'll go back and forth. We'll, we'll just have to see. And and hopefully you get enough education that or diversify enough that you won't get lost in any of that. And if you know history, you've seen these things before and know how they play out. Correct. Correct. Very good. Well, Mark, I really appreciate you being here. Uh, want to just touch base again for those who want to follow up your um, your app is Brain Bump, and we can um, look it up. You said they're slightly different on um, Android or or Apple, but we will just include the link the link in the show notes, so they they should be able to go either to the Play Store or Apple, um, whatever the Apple Store is. I don't even know the name. Sorry, <laughs> and and then. Um, Conosco Media will also include the, the link for that. Is there any other like social app, you know, how they can follow you or connect with you? There's a whole bunch. So okay. certainly you can search for Brain Bump with a space on Android without a space currently as one word on Apple until we get that fixed. Or if you look for Cognosco Media, C-O-G-N-O-S-C-O Media on either app store, you'll find it. And cognoscomedia.com, there is a contact page. You can also go to thecareertoolkitbook.com. That's mm -hmm. my other website for my book. And okay. there you can see on the contact page, not only can you contact me, you can see my links for LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can oh. follow me there. I also put out new content each week in my blog. So there's lots of ways to get more content or follow me or get in touch. Perfect. Thank you for uh, including all of that. And now, Mark, I always like to wrap it up with asking you, uh, as I do all my interviewees, give us an exercise or something that the listeners can take action on now to improve themselves or um, increase their prosperity in any area of their life. Here is a very simple thing you can do. Sure. Chapter one of my book, The Career Toolkit, talks about how to create and execute a career plan. When there's somewhere you want to be five, 10 years down the road, it helps to have a plan. Yes. Now, that's a couple things you have to do for that. That's not a quick tip, but here's a simple thing you can do. Any plan you create, it's not going to work out exactly as you expected. You have to adjust as you go. Here is how you can do that. Take out your phones right at the end of this podcast, and you're going to create a calendar event that says, think about my career. And you're going to mm -hmm. set that to recur every six months. So mm -hmm. now you've committed yourself to at least every six months. And if you want to do it every three months, whatever you want to do, you get that reminder saying, hey, it's time to check in on my career plan. Just like your project plans at work, you don't just set in and hope, well, two years from now, let's see if we made it. You do those monthly check-ins, weekly check-ins, same thing for your career. Now, if you're not sure what to include, at my website, thecareertoolkitbook.com, on the resources page, there are questions you can ask yourself. There are free resources to help you plan. But this is a check-in to make sure you don't go too long without saying, hey, let me see how I'm doing. So create that calendar event and go forward. That's a great review. A great um, point. Uh, mine is July 1st and January 1st. To, I kind of just do a life evaluation, but um, specific, that's a good point to, to specifically say career. Where am I and where am I going? Um, and if you want to do life, that, that's fine too. In fact, a lot of the career questions are not just about your job. They are about your life. They're mm -hmm. about where do I want to live and do I want more kids? But the key thing, most people don't have your discipline and you need that reminder so you don't let it drop. Yes, 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 yes. I, um, you've all actually reminded me that because I used to do when my kids were at home, a monthly goal meeting where we talked about where are you going? And our first question is where do you want to be in 25 years? And um, I was just thinking I need to 
go back to get, you know, it not maybe not monthly, but maybe quarterly with my children. Just, you know, because once you've hit college and gotten that first job, it's easy to forget. I still need a plan. I still need to goal set and direct my life instead of just let it happen. Absolutely. Most people, when they're in their 20s, they have some dream job. They have somewhere they want to be, whether it's a title or a set of responsibilities. Mm -hmm. And yet what they do is say, well, I hope I get there. That's not how you succeed. Not hope effective. It's not a plan. Right. What you need is a plan together. Now, a plan doesn't guarantee success, but a lack of a plan pretty much guarantees failure. So you need true, to say, true. where am I going and how do I create a plan to get there and then do those check-ins along the way? Right, right. Even if it's something as broad as, you know, I want to be able to retire. Well, let's have a plan for how that's going to happen <laughs> and check in if we're doing it. One of the career questions is, what are your financial goals? I know yeah. people want to retire at 40. Some people say, I want six houses. Okay, they're all fair, but you need a plan to get to those six houses or retire by yeah. 40, and you need a career that's going to take you there. Awesome. Well, Mark, it's been fun for me to interview you. You've taken us in some very different directions than at I expected, and I appreciate you being here and sharing your wealth of knowledge with our listeners. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Sure thing. Thanks so much for listening today. I'm Marianne Hobson, and I invite you to subscribe, like, comment, and most importantly, share what you've learned with someone you know. The best way to lock it in is to teach someone else so make sure that you share what you've learned, take action on an exercise or something that you've heard today, and come back to let us know how it's benefited your life and your family. Looking forward to hearing from you soon.